Joy, a feeling of delight or happiness in the soul, a settled assurance and confidence in God's goodness. His gifts of hope and peace bring gladness to heavy hearts. In a manger, joy is embodied. The angels sing, the shepherds report. Humanity's joy is found in our Savior, Jesus. We respond with joy, the fruit of God's Spirit, declaring freedom and victory over sin and death. The lighted candle of joy radiates the goodness of Emmanuel, God with us. In Him, we rejoice with hearts made whole and hearts filled full. Well, at uh, this time, our uh, Cactus Campus and then our, our venue across this campus and then our chapel next door and then those watching online uh, are joining us for our, our time in the Word. And I, I hope and trust you all had a great time of, of worship. Uh, we certainly have here. Uh, I'm glad you guys are, are alive. Last night, I probably got in trouble uh, the Saturday night service, for whatever reason, was, I mean, just like dead. I mean, like there was like no life in it. And, and everything Neil said, they didn't laugh at. And then, you know, we had Sean Bosky, you know, who used to play for the Cubs. And, you know, they were a dismal team back then. And they didn't laugh at that. And, and you know, all these things. And, and so I finally got up and I said, boy, you guys are like a downer tonight. And, uh, and they didn't laugh at that. And so... <laughs> We pulled out all stops, and if you've looked in the bulletin, the, the, the subject is joy, you know, so like, we're trying hard, and, uh, and, and you guys have been much better today. You're kind of lifting our spirits, pray for that, you know, there was curmudgeons on Saturday night, and uh, no, you see, that's what got me in trouble. That's right, that's exactly it, as I joke, make jokes like that, and you know, I grew up in a home, and, and it's, it's a bad part of my temperament, I think. My dad when he used to get angry, uh, just used to, to make fun of things. And that was his defense mechanism. And my mom would say quite often, I can hear it in my head, she'd say, Frank, that's not funny. And he would say, well, Carolyn, I can either get mad at it or I can laugh at it. And I've kind of followed that pattern. And so I didn't get mad at them last night. That was my victory. I, I, I loved them and, 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 and made fun of them. So we're going to uh, pray right now. <laughs> See, some of you like that. All right, good. And... Uh, and we're going to talk about joy. So why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for your church. Uh, all kidding aside, Lord, you know I love your church. And your church is your people. And I love your people. And I love those who claim the name of Jesus. And I love those who, even in their own muddled way, continue to come back to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find help in their time of need, as Hebrews 4 says. And so, Father, I pray that as we open up your book now and plumb the depths of this subject called joy, that, God, you might lift the countenance and the spirits of some of us who maybe came in here burdened by the things of this world and need a desperate infusion of joy. Do that in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So if you've been with us at all through the month of December, even if you haven't, this will be a quick way for you to get up to speed. We're celebrating Advent here at our church. And Advent is simply an old tradition where we pull out some of the themes of the Christmas story and talk about those themes each week as we make our way up to Christmas. And so the four themes that we've been talking about this month here at our church are hope, and then last week was Schrader, peace, and today joy, and then next week as we celebrate the birth of Christ, obviously love. And this week, we get to focus all of our time on this theme of joy. 
And here's what you need to know about joy right off the bat, and that is that joy is clearly and inarguably seen smack dab in the middle of the Christmas proclamation. It's there plain in black and white language. We all know the story. The shepherds are in the fields around Bethlehem watching their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appears to them to announce the imminent birth of Jesus. And initially, the shepherds are freaked out, as any of us would be if an angel appeared to us, but the angel works to ally their fears by saying some very important and powerful words to them. These words are found in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Let's read them together. Follow along with me. It says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So there it is. Right in the center of the Christmas proclamation, great joy, which will be for all the people. It's interesting, the magi, who were not to be confused with the shepherds, the magi were visiting dignitaries from the east that came to visit Jesus after he was born. They write, it's written about them, that they actually experienced this joy that's talked about here. It says in Matthew 2.10 that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's kind of redundant, isn't it? <laughs> Rejoiced exceeding, exceedingly with great joy when they followed the star and it led to Jesus. So we're going to move on from here in a second, but here's what we know at the very least about the Christmas story, and that is that joy is core to the experience of Jesus. It was promised to the shepherds and all that follow the shepherds to view and come to Jesus. It was experienced by the magi when they indeed came and experienced Jesus. And so the question I want you to wrestle with right now, and this is a very important question, is how does this work? Because here's the problem. You and I all know people who claim to be followers of Jesus, and let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I would say they are believers and followers of Jesus, and yet they don't have a lot of joy. In fact, they're sour-faced, they're dismal, they're angry, they're judgmental, they're curmudgeons of the, of the best sort. And, and you got to ask the question, how can that be? If joy is so central to the Christmas experience of ones who know and follow Jesus, how in the world can there be Christians that don't have joy? And more positively, how does joy then fit into the equation of ones who claim to know and follow Jesus? I've wrestled with this a lot because I didn't come to Christ till I was a young adult. And when I came to Christ, I got to tell you, my countenance changed. Everything changed about my life. I know that's hard for some of you because you didn't have that experience, and, and I feel for you. But man, when I came to Christ, I immediately had joy in my life. As I've said before, I went from black and white to technicolor. Everything changed in my life. And so it was hard for me initially to bump into Christians that like weren't experiencing this thing called joy. So, so, so what is that about? Well, after 35 years of following Jesus, here's what I've come to understand about joy, and it's our main point today. 
It's really the only thing I need you to hear, though we're going to talk about a lot more, and it's this. Here's how joy works. Joy is a byproduct. That's really important. You latch onto that one. It's a byproduct of experiencing God. I probably went through six or seven iterations of this main point this week because I wanted to get it right. And every word is well chosen. Joy is a byproduct. It's something that comes after you do something else. And what is it that you do? You experience God. You know, Jesus would go on to teach us this in a profound way in a passage in which he's talking about how our world is constantly consumed with things like money and success and clothes and food and things like that in order to find happiness and contentment. Look at what Jesus concludes. Look at Matthew 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, meaning God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things, the things that you think will bring you joy, and some of them can, will be added to you. So seek first. Latch on to that. First things first. And as you seek first things, as a byproduct, other things, the things that you think will bring you joy, and indeed some of them do, will be added to you. So don't miss the power of this principle, gang. It's really important that you see this. Uh, basically, Jesus is saying, seek one thing, and another thing is going to get thrown in. But seek what will get thrown in first, and not only do you not get what you are seeking, but you also miss the one thing, the first thing, that you should have been seeking in the first place. So if you're tracking with that, Jesus is saying you can either be a double winner or a double loser it's your choice. Seeking first things, if you do that, joy is going to be a byproduct of doing that. I love how C.S. Lewis, the famous Oxford professor turned Christian, said it years ago. This is really good. Look at how he put it. He said, a car is made to run on petrol or gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food that our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. Now listen, he says this is why, or that is why, it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the other things, including joy, will be added to you. Joy comes as a byproduct of seeking first things first. This is the primary principle you and I need to understand about joy. Now, once we get that, and I think all of you do, at least intellectually, then the $10 question becomes, watch this, what are the first things that you and I should be seeking, right? Right? Because all of us seek after joy. All of us want joy in our lives. So the question becomes, if you buy this reality, and you should, that joy is a byproduct of seeking first things, the question becomes, what are those first things that we should be seeking? What does it mean when Jesus says, his kingdom and his righteousness? And to answer this question, let's stay with the words of Jesus, by and large, and let's look at other places in the Gospels, this is so cool, where Jesus would 
link joy with some of these first things. Years ago, I did a study on joy. That's why I'm so joyful. And, uh, and, and the Greek word for joy is kara. And so I looked up every occurrence of kara. And then there's another word for joy, makarios, which is translated blessed. It literally means to make happy. And as I looked at all the occurrences of these two Greek words and what Jesus said about them, I noticed no less than five primary areas where Jesus links joy to where it can truly be found. You ready for this? The first place is in our eternal salvation in our eternal salvation. Look at how Jesus would put it in one of his uh, pointy little parables. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And from joy, kara, over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, this is such a simple story, but don't miss the profundity in here. He begins by saying the kingdom of heaven. That's simply referring to God in your life. God who loves you and cares about you, but is separated from you because of your sin, but because Jesus came and bore the weight and penalty of your sin upon himself, can now bring you to God through your faith and trust in him. We call it the gospel. And so the kingdom of heaven referring here is the gospel, eternal salvation. He's saying it's like a, a, a guy who finds a treasure in a field and then he has so much joy over it that after hiding that treasure, he goes and, and sells everything he has and buys that field because he wants anything more in life. He wants that treasure in that field. This is what Jesus is likening our salvation to and the joy that we can and should have in it. I, you know, some of you think, well, a treasure in a field, that's kind of hard to relate to. Here would be the modern day corollary to a treasure in a field. How about winning the lottery? You ever known somebody that won the lottery? I mean, initially, they, they, I mean, they, rightly so, they think their ship has come in. They never have to work anymore. They never have to worry about money anymore. All the material things they want are now going to be theirs. And so there's that initial burst of joy that you would get if you won the lottery akin to finding a treasure in a field. And yet Jesus' point is clear, is that unlike the lottery or a treasure in a field that's going to fade quickly because that's just about material things, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this, but even more so. The kingdom of heaven is the kind of thing that when you and I get saved and experience God and his salvation for us, there is a joy that gets infused into our lives that makes it all worth it. But here's the problem with this. And, and, and almost every one of you who have been around the spiritual block a few times have experienced this. I've experienced this. And that is that, that though joy is inherent or encapsulized in our eternal salvation, the problem is, is that that joy over time can start to wane. Is it just me or how many of you have experienced that? C.S. Lewis calls it your first fervor, that you, you come to Christ and you're initially really excited and you have that burst of joy, but then using another one of Jesus' parables, as the weeds come and start to choke out your faith, one of the first things that goes is joy. And now we're bumping up into the answer 
of the question I asked earlier, how can it be that you got a bunch of saved Christians that don't have a lot of joy? And that is because, and this is okay, I mean, this happens, is that over time, that initial joy of your salvation can start to get threatened by the things of this world, the things of your flesh, the, the evil one, Jesus even talks about in that parable. And if we're not careful, our joy can be robbed, and almost every one of us have experienced it. I mean, I did. I, I got saved in March 11th, 1981. I, I was a dumb high school kid back then and, and didn't know anything about anything, but I understood Jesus, and I accepted Jesus, and, and I could clearly tell you that when I was driving home that night, there was joy. There was relief in my soul that I had finally come home to God. I had finally understood him, or as I would learn later, he found me, and I had joy. And that joy lasted for at least a good 24 hours in my life after my salvation. But then I went back to high school, and I had all the pressures there, and the drinking, and the girls, and all the other things that, 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 that God said, hey, you got to slow down on those things, Jamie, and start to live a more set-apart life. And, and I started battling the flesh and the world and all these things, and before I knew it, that, that joy was starting to get robbed from me. And there's two things that I've done over the years to try to bring that joy of my salvation back. You ready for this? Here's the first one. <laughs> and this can sound so simple, but so many Christians forget this. And that is, remember that you're still saved. Amen? Amen. I mean, honestly, I don't know about you. And it's hard to explain this because it's very experiential for me in my walk with God. But there's sometimes when I'm driving down the road and I'm burdened by everything going on around me. My, my kids or my church or things going on. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a man of sorrows, that type of thing, you know, I'm relating to Jesus on that level. I'm just burdened by everything. And joy is, is not to be found. And then I have a moment, and it's hard to explain, it's just a moment of lucidity where the Holy Spirit reminds me, at the very least, Jamie, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven he smiles upon you. There's a place for you in heaven. All is not gone. All is not lost. He is still centered in your life. He has gripped your life, and he's never letting go. Take joy. Take heart. And again, for just a brief moment, driving down Scottsdale Road, I get this feeling, it's okay. And then by about Bell Road, that, that stuff comes back to me. But for that brief moment... I got joy once again. Remember that you're saved. Remember that you are his. Allow your eternal salvation to once again give you joy. Now, if that doesn't work, and sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, believe me, there's a lot more that God wants to do to give you joy. And so tip number two to get this joy leads us to point number two, and it's very similar to eternal salvation, and that is that Jesus links joy with ongoing faith. And this is different from eternal salvation. Eternal salvation is that joy that you get when you initially placed your faith in Jesus, but then Jesus goes on to talk about how ongoing faith and trust, like moment-by-moment -moment trust, is designed to give you joy and like a really powerful infusion of joy. Jesus taught us this in one of the most potent chapters in all of the New Testament. It's John chapter 15. 
We're actually going to study this chapter in depth late next spring, John 15, as we continue to make our way through the Gospel of John. And in this chapter, some of you might remember this, Jesus uses this really simple word picture of likening himself to a vine and us to the branches. Give me a head nod that you remember that. If you don't, you can get that. And so picture maybe a tree trunk or a very thick vine, and then you got these branches coming off of it, and Jesus is likening himself to the vine, us to the branches, and he basically says that we must stay connected to the vine or the trunk if we are to have any spiritual and relational usefulness in our lives. That if we don't maintain constant and abiding faith in God through Jesus, the kind of faith that trusts him moment by moment, day by day looks to him, the kind of faith that has a personal relationship with him in which you let him talk to you through his word and you talk to him driving down Scottsdale Road, if you don't have that kind of abiding faith, and this is going to sound ominous to some of you, Jesus says in the chapter, well... And what's going to happen is he's going to chop the branch off because it's already dead and he's going to throw it in the center of the field and have a big bonfire with it. It's kind of an ominous chapter when you think about it. He's trying to underline the importance of you and I staying close and connected to him. But then he ends that little section in John 15 with a very positive phrase. Look at what he says. He says, these things, meaning this idea of you staying connected to him through faith, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Whoa. We don't have time. We're going to plumb the depths of this next year. But two things he obviously says here, that his joy somehow is going to be flowing through you as you stay connected to him. How would you like that one, by the way? The joy of the eternal son of God, second person of the Trinity, who has existed for all of eternity in perpetual joy with the Father. You want that joy inside of you? He says it can be. My joy in you and your joy then, obviously, duh, is going to be made full. That's what Jesus says happens when you and I learn to abide in our faith and have ongoing faith. And I know how some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, who in the right mind, though, can have a moment-by-moment, you know, each minute, every day kind of trust in Jesus? I mean, come on, Jamie. I mean, I, I'm a pretty good Christian. I, I start my day with a daily bread or, you know, with this devotional you gave us by O.S. Hawkins for Advent, and I spend my, you know, three minutes and 45 seconds reading it, and, and then I say a couple of prayers, and then it's off into my day. And, and I forget about it by about 9 o'clock, but, you know, by noon, I'm, 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 I'm with it again. I'm praying before my meal, and, and then I forget about them by about 2. And, but then again, at, at about 5 or 6, I, I pray again, and, and then I pray again before bed, and... You know, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, what more would God want? He wants a lot more. He wants you, every moment of every day, trusting in him. And though it's really hard work, I won't kid you, if you learn to do it, the byproduct of experiencing God that way is joy. Uh, Joni Erickson Tata, or Johnny Erickson Tata, is a... uh, quadriplegic. She's been that way since 1967. She's founder of a ministry called Johnny and Friends. And she tells about an experience that she had a 
few years back. I, I read this story to you guys about a half decade ago, so some of you will remember this, but it's really good. Some of you, this will be new, and for the rest of you, this will be a good reminder. I, I, I just love this story. I read it probably once a year. She says, honesty is always the best policy, but especially when you're surrounded by a crowd of women in a restroom during a break at a Christian women's conference. One woman putting on lipstick said, oh, Johnny, you, look, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish that I had your joy. Several women around her nodded. How do you do it, she asked as she capped her lipstick. I responded, I don't do it. In fact, may I honestly tell you what happened to me this morning? This is the average day, Johnny says. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone, unable to move in my bed until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. Then my friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, Oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day. But you do. May I have your smile, God? I need you desperately. In the bathroom, one of them asked, so what happens when your friend comes through the bedroom door? Johnny said, well, I turn my head toward her and I give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's mine. It's not mine. It's God's. And so, she said, gesturing to her paralyzed legs, whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. She says, I've learned that the weaker we are, the more we need to lean on God. And the more we lean on God, the stronger we discover him to be. I love how she says that toward the end of her story. It's worth looking at here on the monitor that whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. Guys, there's no way around this. If you and I want to have joy in our lives, it's hard work. And as we've already learned, you don't get joy by trying to seek it for its sake. You don't get it by buying the next thing. You don't get it by going on the next vacation. You don't get it by looking at your 401k. As fine and good as all those things are, those will bring a fleeting sense of happiness. You get your joy from God. And it's a byproduct of experiencing him and ongoing faith is key to that. And all I can say is that if a young woman at that time in 1967 can learn to trust God from a wheelchair each moment of each day, then you and I have hope as well. Amen? We can learn to train our souls to trust in him. Now, I love the third thing. Again, kind of right on the coattails of this that Jesus links joy with as, a, as a something we should seek on a first thing basis, and that is spiritual activities or what some people call spiritual disciplines. Now, we're doing a lot of Bible here today, but this is Scottsdale Bible Church. So let me fire off some scriptures to you right now that I found in my study a few years back on joy, and you're going to like this. And I want you to notice how all the activities that I badger you guys about week in and week out that you need to do, like serve God and pray and read the Bible and things like that, I'm going to show you how Jesus links those things to joy. 
You ready for this? So think of service. Jesus told a parable on how we need to serve with the talents and treasures that he's given us. And at the end of this parable, Jesus says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant or slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Here it is. Enter into the, say the word with me, joy of your master. Whoa. So serving God is designed to bring us joy. Here's the next one. Think of prayer. I tell you guys to pray a lot. Look at what Jesus says in John 16. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your, say it with me, joy may be made full. There's that word full again. So joy comes on the coattails of prayer. And you know what? Let me blow your mind even more here. What if sometimes you ask and what you receive is a no from God? Let me ask you a question. Do you still think there might be some joy in that no, yes or no? Yes. Why? Because as we're going to see in a minute here, he gives you himself. As Job found at the end of the book of Job, Job thought what he was looking for was this restored life. God says, no, what you're looking for is me. What you're looking for is my voice and my presence and my activity in your life. Remember, we're talking about experiencing God. And when you experience God, even when he says no, what's so cool about that is that you have joy. And then continue on here. Forgive me for getting excited here. Uh, I want you to think about fellowship. I tell you guys to hang around with believers uh, a lot, and some of you don't like that. Uh, look at what Jesus says. He says, Holy Father, keep them, meaning you and I, in your name, the name which you have given me, that they, meaning you and I, may be one, even as we are one, that they may have my, say the word with me, joy made full in themselves. So we get joy when we hang around with each other. And then lastly, even the Bible's designed to give us joy. These aren't Jesus's words. These are John's words, but inspired by Jesus. In the book of Revelation, he says, blessed, again, the word means happy, is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. So reading the book of Revelation and all of the Bible is designed to give us joy. I mean, do you see, folks? The things, the spiritual activities that we do as Christ followers are, are designed to increase our joy factor. They're made to bring some happiness and contentment in life. And for those of us who engage in them regularly, do them long enough, you're gonna start to get some joy. And, and then last, almost second to last, and we're running out of time fast, we've got about 10 or 11 minutes left. I, I, I wanna share with you a fourth thing that Jesus tells us that we can find joy in. And this one's gonna surprise you. It's not found, talked about very much in this world. You certainly won't find it in a New York Times best-selling book, even the religious ones. You won't find it talked about on Oprah or Dr. Phil. But it is very, very true, and the Bible trumpets this from the mountaintops, and that is that joy is found in struggle and pain if we will allow ourselves to see God in our struggle and pain. Look at how um, Jesus would put this to us in Luke 6. Again, using that word blessed, makarios, that means joy and happiness, Jesus says, blessed, joyful are you who are poor, 
for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed, happy are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for your soul, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. We'll get back to that in one second. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. It's fascinating. Obviously, if you're tracking with this verse, Jesus is telling us that the happiness and the joy we can have now is because someday our suffering will be all worth it. And that someday mostly will be in heaven. So persevere now. Heaven will be great, and that can give you joy. But, but notice, and this is really important, that that gladness and joy is found now. You getting that, Richard? In that day, meaning this day right now, you can be glad and leap for joy, not in the absence of your struggles and pain, but in the midst of your struggles and pain, you can have joy. And the question that you should be asking right now, I, I, I hope you are, is how in the world can that be? I mean, how can we experience joy in the midst of the crummy parts of life? And the answer is simple. You ready for this? And again, it goes back to our main point. And that is that God is in the habit of giving us himself and a deep sense of his presence in the midst of our difficult times. And when you experience his presence in the midst of your pain, you get joy. Even if your pain is still there. Because guys, some of you don't believe this, but what your soul is really longing for, this will blow you away, is not the good life. You think it is. That's why you put a bumper sticker on your car that says the good life. I can tell you right now, your soul is really not longing for the good life. Your soul is longing for him and to be in relationship with your maker and your God and your savior. And he's in the habit, in the midst of our struggle and pain, giving us a sense of his presence. And though some of you don't get it now, I pray that you will, that presence is more powerful than just about anything. Neil's going to tease me later. In fact, he already has that what I'm about to do is shameful product placement. I want to talk to you about my book coming out next year. <laughs> And, and I'm really not doing it for product placement. I'm doing it because you all are so much a part of it because the book that I've written being published by Baker next summer is a, a book that came out of a sermon series I did on, on peace and joy. Uh, it was a sermon series on our attitude and how when you have the right attitude based on Philippians 4.8, you can have joy. And Baker came up with a great, great title of this book. They called it How Joyful People Think. That if we can learn to think in a certain way, you can get joy. When I told Schrader that title last summer, he said, man, that's a great title. It doesn't fit the author, but it's a great title. <laughs> and uh, yeah, on certain days, he's right. And what some of you don't know is that as I wrote the book last summer on my sabbatical break, um, there were some chapters at the end of it that I had to write free form, meaning I, I didn't do sermons on them, but I had to, to finish the book. So it was a lot of work to research this and write them. And in the very last chapter, I, I link peace and joy with right thinking. And more importantly, I, I link peace and joy with this sense of presence. So I'm going to wet your whistle for next year, and I'm going to read you. Um, this was just sent to me by Baker as they sent me the final proof. I'm going to read you a story that I wrote last summer that, that's very dear to my heart. 
about the power of presence. So here's what I wrote. When I was a burgeoning teenager on the cusp of adolescence, I went through a time of pronounced anxiety. I was in junior high, and like many kids at that age, I was deeply insecure about my changing body and whether or not I was liked at school and what the future held for me. Mind you, I couldn't consciously process or verbalize any of this, and this is why it presented itself as a generalized anxiety at that time in my life. Many kids go through this, and we each respond differently. I can remember a period of time in seventh grade when I did not want to go to school. I would wake up with a foreboding sense of dread about the day ahead. Claiming a stomachache, I would tell my parents that I was sick and had to stay home. The only problem is dad was old school. He was born in the middle of the Great Depression and had pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. And his twofold criteria for being sick was a high fever and vomiting. Two things that are hard to fake. Stomach aches never satisfied his criteria, so I was out the door and off to school with anxiety and dread leading the way. As I look back on how I got through that time, there was one primary thing that made all the difference, and that was the anticipated presence of my mom at the end of each school day. Dad was the one who forced me to go to school. He was always the disciplinarian, and for that I'm grateful. Every kid needs this or they will end up being irresponsible and immature adults. Mom, however, was empathetic to my emotions and understood what I was experiencing even more than I did at that age. At the beginning of each day, as I would tepidly leave the house, she would say to me, I will be here when you get home. Don't worry, I will be waiting. All throughout the day, when I would feel the anxiety and the fear rising up in my soul, I would think about mom waiting for me. It brings tears to my eyes 45 years later as I write this. I would picture her at our kitchen table, sitting with a glass of milk and a cookie in front of her, waiting. Just the thought of her presence would stem the tide of anxiety. The eventual experience of her presence would bring profound relief. We would talk about my day, we would share a snack together. Even after all these years, I don't remember any of our conversations, but I do remember the feeling of her presence and the relief that it created in my soul. Presence is powerful. To a troubled soul, it creates an unmistakable trifecta. It breeds security, it heals wounds, and it fosters perseverance. In short, presence brings peace and joy. This has been my experience from an early age. The presence of a trusted other person truly is one of the most crucial things our soul needs. Maybe now we can understand why it leaves the lesser blessings in the dust. Maybe now we can understand why God promises us in Philippians 4.9, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know if some of you have experienced this or not, but I sure have on a human level that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes presence can be one of the most powerful things that our soul needs. I spend a lot of time with people who have experienced death. Obviously, that's what I do as a pastor. People once in a while will say to me, what do you say when you walk into a room after a horrible, tragic accident in which death came too early? And you know what my answer is? It's not complicated, gang. I say, I say very little because I'm not sure any words are going to do anything, right? But I know that my presence, the presence of a pastor who loves the person, the presence of a family member or a dear friend, 
many times, what one Jewish writer called a silent presence, can many times be the most powerful thing a soul needs. And here's my simple point. If that's true on a human level, imagine it with God. Imagine what God might want to do in your life in the midst of a most difficult time for you in giving you a sense of his presence. You're eternally saved. You're trying to have ongoing faith. You're practicing spiritual activities. And the fruit of that is that even in your struggle and pain, you can have joy. But it's joy that comes from him and his presence in your life. And here's my final thought. If none of this works for you, if you try all of this and you still have no joy, which I can't believe that would happen, but let's say for the sake of argument it does, there is a fifth thing that God says will guarantee you joy. The only bummer is you have to die first because here's the fifth thing, and that is heaven. Amen? Amen. I've said this for years. I, I, I hope God lets me sit at the, at the pearly gates for just a day to, 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 to let some of those curmudgeoning Christians into heaven because I'm going to say, man, were you sour-faced on earth? You're going to love it in here. Because all the tears, all the sadness, all the griping, all the flesh is going to be stripped away and you're going to have joy. Here's what Jesus promised us. With this, we're done. Luke 14, 15. He said, blessed, happy is everyone. Say that word with me. Everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Referring to the last marriage supper with the lamb. When we sit down with Jesus in eternity and experience him fully and finally, you're going to get joy, I promise you. But you can get joy now. Martha Washington, George's wife, once put it this way. She says, I've learned from experience that the greater part of our happiness depends on our dispositions and not on our circumstances. Depends on how you think. Depends on what you experience. It's not going to come from a good life bumper sticker. It's going to come from God. Your eternal salvation, your ongoing faith, your spiritual activities, even your struggle and pain, eventually even heaven, they're all designed to give you joy. Joy is a byproduct of seeking first things. Let's do that, and I promise you we'll have some joy. Father, thank you for this Advent time of year where we can focus on these very, very relevant Christmas themes, themes like hope, and, and as we saw last week with Schrader, peace and joy, and as we make our way to Christmas Eve, love. And God, if I don't miss my guess, there are many of us here today and watching online at other campuses and venues that desperately need some joy. And I pray, God, that as we chew on this idea of our salvation and our and our spiritual activities, and our ongoing faith, and our struggle and pain, and even eternity itself, that, God, you might well up some joy in our souls. May we pass that on to those around us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.